never in a straight line. Hmm. Just ne- it, nothing ever goes perfectly. It's 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 never in a straight line. Yeah, everyone's everyone says everyone has everyone's path is different. Whatever. Just remember, ups and downs. It's going to deviate from from the route. Just never a straight line. Yeah. So expect expect chaos. Mm. What is up, you guys? Welcome to Mindset Sessions by Off the Wall Therapy. I am Brock Iceman, and I am stoked to give you guys a look into the sport and performance psychology world. I am here to help you create tools and optimize your potential. Let's get it. All right, so today's session is going to go a little bit differently than the last ones. The last ones were 15 to 20 minute sessions, like mental performance sessions that I want you guys to be able to go back to. And I want to make this a point as well. I want you to be able to go back to those. I don't want you to be like, okay, I got the one thing that I wanted out of that session and I'm done with it, right? The reason why I made them short is so it's easy to go back to and it's easy for you to utilize whenever you feel like you need to hear it, okay? Today's session is going to be more of an interview style. And with my interview style, I don't necessarily want it to be all about the individual that I'm interviewing. I want to take certain topics, certain situations and thought forms that come from our conversation that you guys can utilize and that you can use. So today, we're going to be talking about growth. We're going to be talking about overcoming adversity. We're going to be talking about his high school development, his college development into his professional development. And today, we are lucky enough to have Kenny Rosenberg, who's sitting right across from me. And he is going to introduce himself. He's from a small town in San Francisco, and he's a left-handed pitcher for the Angels organization and is married to his wife, Christy, and recently became a father to his son, Beckett. So here's Kenny. I'm 27. Um, Yeah, I've got a beautiful wife at home with a six-month-old son, uh, Beckett. My wife's name is Christy. Mm -hmm. Um, grew up in Mill Valley, California, just outside of San Francisco, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, always wanted to be a baseball player. That was, I think, if you ask any of my friends, like that was kind of my identity growing up. But I was never the most athletically talented um, kid early on. Mm-hmm. I was a, I was a very late bloomer, so um, I was good, but I was small wasn't fast, didn't throw hard, didn't hit the ball far. Um, I was just coordinated, and I like to think pretty savvy. Uh, and so I just I just fell in love with baseball and uh, everything that came with it and, um, you know, played in college, and ultimately, you know, I knew that I always wanted to play professionally, and um, I'm very, very fortunate to still be playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean... I think growing up, um, baseball was kind of my identity. And it's actually, just having this conversation now, it's kind of scary to think about that I was, at the time, so centrally focused on, like, one thing that seemed like, that's, like, a ridiculous thing to be, like, I want to be a professional baseball player when you're, like, seven years old. Mm. Like, that's what I said. Mm -hmm. So I'm feeling, you know, very fortunate to be sitting here with you talking about that. Mm. 
I know it's kind of a sidebar, but yeah. So uh, baseball, baseball was that the only sport you played? I played soccer too. Um, I was a goalie. All the other kids were used to using their feet. I was used to using my hands. Made sense. I was good. Um, that just worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I played basketball a little bit when I was younger. But yeah, I love sports. I mean, um, I think growing up that was that was like go to the park and just play anything with a ball like mm. depending on the season like that was that was just what we did stick ball football you know um mini hoop basketball in the front yard like mm. whatever it was um and then yeah i guess um just the relative like relative to what we're going to talk about today i think like the most important thing to know about me was that late bloomer aspect mm-hmm. um I think that is kind of what defines me in, in this um, situation because I didn't have any offers to play anywhere. No Division One, no Division Two offers, not a scholarship whatsoever, just Division Three, you know, which are academic scholarships only. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, just from a from a athletic standpoint and athletic development and, you know, kind of the theme that we're talking about today i think i think that's where where i uh where i can really you know help perspective wise yeah yeah no for sure um what do you look like you left-handed right-handed what position you play what position you play in high school i left a lot of that stuff out huh yeah no what are you (laughs) (laughs) um left-handed pitcher pitcher. played a little bit of first and outfield when i was in high school again i didn't have any juice but i could put the bat on the ball so i hit like you know for average pretty well mm. um but it, yeah pitching was always going to be my way um into college and professional ranks but like all these guys who are playing like pro ball like I, there's some some guys who are like yeah i threw like three no hitters in one year in high school and i'm like like yeah you were throwing 92 against you know, uh, yeah. against 15 year olds like yeah i would have <laughs> thrown a no hitter too but i was throwing 82 <laughs> and um Never, yeah, never threw no hitter, but yeah. um, you know, still, still got a chance. Luckily, yeah, <laughs> a lot of people at twenty seven. If you hadn't thrown no hitter, you're not going to throw one. But you know, I still, I still get a chance to go do that. Um, How, so you threw, you topped out at eighty two your senior year. No, that was probably my probably my sophomore junior year. I was throwing around eighty two. I think the the last pitch I threw, um, Fred Polinich struck that kid out. I remember it. Fred's against Marin Catholic. Freddie, man. Um, guys, I hope he's not listening. He was goober. <laughs> he was he was a top-tier goober. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it was like, a, like an 88-mile-an-hour fastball, and that was the hardest pitch oh, wow. that I had thrown. But, again, that was probably two ticks higher than I had thrown a pitch in my whole life at that point. Mm-hmm. And... Like I said, it was like at the very end of my senior year, everyone's already signed. Nobody has any scholarship room. So it didn't really matter that I was left-handed throwing 88 out of high school, which a lot of people would say you should be on a Division I roster. Yeah, especially as a lefty. Um, So, and I had good secondary stuff because I had to learn how to pitch before I threw. Yeah. Decently hard. Um, Yeah. But yeah, no, I, it was even that year. It wasn't eighty eight. It was mostly like eighty four or eighty five. I would yeah. say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Absolutely, I don't remember I, what the question was. No, I was asking just kind of about who you were in high yeah. school. Um, right. What about so you said you mentioned something about recruiting? Um, mm-hmm. 
you didn't get recruited sophomore, junior, senior year, and then all of a sudden, because you ended up at the same college as me, and we both went to Northridge. Yeah. Together, and you didn't tell me, because you and I, for the people who don't know, like we played in Australia together. I actually have I actually have a good way to explain this. Okay. Relative to your question. Yeah, okay. Because you're asking about recruiting, essentially. Go for it. And what led up to it. Yeah. So basically... Again, I always wanted to play professional baseball. Like I wanted to, I wanted to do that, and I knew that the first step. So I kind of like divided like my goals. My goals have always been like a ladder base. So yep. like I'm not looking at the top of the ladder. I'm looking at the next rung, right? Yep. So I know that sounds kind of cliche, but basically, like I knew I couldn't go play pro ball at a high school because I didn't have any Division One offers even. So nobody's going to draft me. Yeah. So I knew I had to go play college baseball. So mm-hmm. that's. That's the first step, right? So in order to do that, I had to get a little bit of exposure. So lucky, luckily enough, I got in contact with a giant scout at the time. I forget the guy's name. Um, but he gave me an opportunity to come try out for the Giants scout team. How did you get into contact with him? I pitched a game against Miramonte um, High School. I don't remember what city that was in, mm. but um, they had a couple guys like uh, I remember these two two names: Patty O'Brien, who was a dog, mm. and Drew Jackson, also major dog. Also, mm. Patty O'Brien, I think, kind of flamed out, but um, Drew Jackson, big leaguer, and uh, actually somebody I played against this year, and kind of told him that story. <laughs> Hit a double off the wall against me um, after a foul ball pop up that got dropped. So mm. we had a fun conversation about that in Las Vegas, and. Um, you know, so now Drew and I are kind of acquaintances, which is kind of cool, full circle for me. But yeah, team our Cowboys. But yeah, because I I hit like eighty five as a junior, mm-hmm. I think, and the scout was there, and um, I guess left a business card for um, my dad because he could see that you know my dad was rooting for me, and he was like, hey, you know, like he should try out for scout ball. Like I know it's it's still early for him, but. I went to this tryout. This is a true story. I went to this tryout during soccer season, um, my junior year. No, it must have been my senior year because this was coming after my junior year. So I went out for scout ball that fall, and I had been trying to throw bullpens like once a week, like to stay in shape, like because I knew I had a tryout coming up. But it's like it's also soccer season, and like I took that seriously, playing two sports. Like I thought it was. Back then, it wasn't as specialized. Like, this is 2012, 13. Yeah. So, like, it wasn't like all my eggs were in the baseball basket. Like, I knew I wanted to play baseball in college, and I wasn't going to play soccer. But that yeah. wasn't, like, as important at that point. Mm. So, I'm throwing bullpens, like, once a week. Just, like, literally playing catch, like, once, maybe twice a week, which sounds crazy. And then trying to go get these guys out mm. and, like, have this giant scout team tryout. Mm-hmm. So, I do it. I'm throwing in my bullpen. I find out later that I was like 80, 83. What is a scout team? Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Important to know yeah. um, for those who don't. It's yeah. basically a fall ball team that's run by scouts. So When you're in high school. When you're in high school. And it gives colleges an opportunity to like be in contact with these guys. It's not just about playing for the, the MLB affiliate. It's mm-hmm. more to showcase what you can do. And a lot of these travel ball teams now do that. But it, for us... Where I was, it was it was scout, yeah, yeah. scout ball. When we were playing scout ball, like they take the best high school players. Or yeah, a lot of these guys have big college commitments: Cal, UCLA, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, some lower D ones, some guys JUCO, sure, but um, yeah. generally good talent. Yeah. So I, I threw this bullpen. I was like 80, 83, I was told. 
And um, when they were announcing who made the team, you know, this was like pretty significant amount of players. Like, let's call it 60 to 80 players for 30 to 40 spots mm-hmm. would be my guess. Maybe 50% make it. Um, lefty throwing 80, 82. Not sure that was going to cut it, but I was having a blast. Mm-hmm. We, you know, shag and fly balls. And I was told that I made the team because of my attitude and my effort. Mm. This is a true story. Mm. And I was shagging my ass off. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I laid out like sliding catches, diving catches. Like I wasn't even an outfielder. Like I was just shagging BP. Mm. I was a pitcher. I wasn't, I wasn't going to hit it all for this league. It was just pitching. So they noticed that. They noticed that. Oh, I made wow. the team. And I proceeded to dice up these D1 commits, oh, throwing 80 to 83. Yeah. Just diced. I'm, I don't know what my numbers were, but I, I remember, like I have video of it, I carved these kids. Mm. Nothing. Mm. Not a single Division One offer that whole fall. So um, we ended up getting an opportunity to go to Australia that, um, that winter. Yeah. as a part of the scout ball team. So mm-hmm. like they took scout teams from all over the state and maybe even out of state too. Yeah. And put us all together on like one like mega scout team, <laughs> which was basically just a team of guys who were like willing to pay the money to go to Australia. Yeah, yeah. But it was, you know, we thought we were like a like a super team. Yeah. And we went over and played against a bunch of these Australian um teams and it was it was a blast and that's where we met. Yeah. So that was kind of my segue. It was like part of the recruiting process like that was an interesting um an interesting phase of my recruiting because it was like so much promise you know get to play scout ball like I was making these videos I was cutting them up I had like a recruiting guy helping me and like all this stuff and it was like hey like you might be able to play at Chapman University or like (laughs) Occidental is interested and Santa Rosa Junior College has a spot for you and it's like well I want to go play at USF or I want to go you play D one. Like I just, I just want an yeah. opportunity. Like I, I know I can do it. Yeah. Like I'm clearly getting these guys out, and um, yeah, no one came calling. Mm. Um, and what, what in the timeline was this? Was that your junior senior year? This was yeah. This was fall of 2012. So my senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sending all. I'm on the. You know, I'm a little bit late as far as recruiting goes. But again, I didn't really have much to show before that. Yeah. So the scout ball footage was was good because it's like, this is really good talent. I'm pitching well against these guys. Here's some video. Yeah. But this was before TrackMan. Yeah. This is before, like, velocity was even, like, that important. It was a lot just based on, like, look. Mm-hmm. And um, I definitely didn't look the part. Mm-hmm. You know, I was probably 5'10". Very average build, like, kind of, like, soft, like, figure-wise. You know, mm-hmm. like, not, like fat but like just kind of like soft Mm -hmm. i don't know if that makes sense like Mm -hmm. somebody who just went through puberty but like isn't a good athlete um like maybe six chest hairs kind of deal Mm -hmm. um i have like 12 now (laughs) so that's cool um yep but uh full circle yeah i doubled my account Mm. absolutely but um yeah i guess i guess i just didn't really get that kind of attention from these big schools, maybe because of the area I grew grew up in, and it just wasn't as sports forward. Yeah, there's um, definitely not as many scouts up there. Yeah, but for whatever reason, um, there was really like two coaches that were interested in me um, from Division One schools that I talked to, 
And when I say interested, I mean like genuine, like keep in touch interested, right? Because mm-hmm. everyone else was like, hey, you know, let us know how the spring goes or whatever. And it was basically like, if you hit 90, call us pretty much is how it felt. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the two coaches were Greg Moore, University of San Francisco pitching coach at the time, and Jordan Tuig. University of Washington hitting coach at the time. Oh, um, so you had both Tuig and more oh. from different schools, right? Oh, yeah. Tuig was um, Tuig was slightly less uh, interactive as more because more was closer, and I was going to I went to like two USF camps, and like yeah. we had a lot of conversations. And at that point, like uh, guy who trains in here now, good friend of mine now, Kyle Zimmer, uh, was somebody that I actually like knew, like of mm. when I was in high school because. He was a first-round pick, and I think it was 2013, maybe 14. Mm. Um, and so, like, that was one of Greg Moore's, like, poster boys at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, it must have no, it must have been 2012 or 13 that he was drafted because Moore went – the way the story ends, basically, is that Greg Moore, that summer after I graduate, um, after telling me that there's no room at USF um, and that I should consider the junior college route, um, he comes to watch me pitch in a summer ball game. Um, I was playing for like a local summer team, California Warriors. Shout out Noah Jackson. Um, my guy, he's at Cal now. Mm. Um, and uh, Noah's another guy who always uh, believed in me. I appreciate that from him. Mm. Uh, I doubt he's listening, but it's my dog. Um, Coach Moore comes and sees me play and, uh, I think I would have ended up going to a junior college had he not got the head coaching job at Cal State Northridge two weeks after that conversation. Yep. Um, and that's proceeding to that because yes. I was going to Northridge before all this happened. Right. It was a uh, whole coaching staff got fired. Curtis. Yeah. Right? Coach yeah, Curtis. Curtis. Yeah. He ended up going to USC. Is he still there? Um, I have no clue. I haven't looked. Hmm. Um, the whole coaching staff got fired. Yeah. And I remember we had three recruits coming in. And obviously I knew you before. And then all of a sudden, first day I show up and you're there. I was like, whoa. Trip. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Um, but more ended up getting in there two weeks before school started. Yeah, it was it was July. That's yeah. what I'm saying. So like when I say I didn't know where I was going, I mean like I didn't know where I was going. Like it was like clocks ticking. As soon as I saw the news that he that he got the head coaching job, I think it was in July. I can mm-hmm. probably find the text that I sent him, but I asked him. I was like, I was "Like you looking for a lefty, <laughs> like something along?" Oh, so you re- you actually I hit him up. I hit him up after like before he could even get his pants on in the morning. You know, mm-hmm. like it was news hit. I caught wind of it. My mom's like, "You should text him." Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and that's really uncomfortable, gonna, right? Was, this, was that a scary text or was that more just like... I think they're all kind of scary texts to guys that like age. that. Yeah, when you're like in high school, like, I mean, it just like the the coaches are so intimidating, yeah. you know, because they seem like these like godly figures yeah. and they have like so much control over your future and it's like too much, honestly. They have yeah. too much control. Yeah. Um, sometimes it goes to their heads. Sometimes you get lucky and you end up with just an insanely, insanely good person. Yeah. Um, there's really no way to know yeah because they all have psycho tendencies yeah so you kind of have to sort through them mm-hmm. figure out which ones are like authentic mean well yeah. versus self-serving you know etc so yeah 
Um, One thing I love about Morris, he's like, he was really big on the mental side, like really big. I remember understatement. Was it the first the first pitchers practice? I only heard about this because when I went to Northridge, I was a two way. But as you remember, I was like looking at Ferramola, and as a freshman going in, I was like, dude, I can't throw ninety eight or whatever he was throwing, was probably, and probably mid nines, yeah. Yeah, and I was like, okay, I sit, I sit like eighty six, eighty seven, and. I love hitting, and I went okay. I'm. I'm just. You gonna, mashed. Too. I'm just going to be a hitter. To be fair, you did kind of mash. Yeah, but I. I did not. I. I looked at that situation. and I was like, okay, so all these guys, they're pitchers. I can't do that. Um, so I didn't. I wasn't allowed to go to the, the whole pitchers meeting. I don't know if you remember this, but you guys went out to the pitchers mound really early one morning, and he showed up on the mound, and he was trying to show you guys like what confidence looked like. Was he naked? Yes, <laughs> he was out on the mound smoking a cigar in his uh, in his tiny, like whitey, tiny whitey yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember that story. I was just like, and this is our head coach that we're talking about. I was like, wow. The number of times I've seen that man in tidy whiteies, <laughs> it's not a pretty sight. Love the guy. Just what was what was he trying? Gotten, he could have gotten some better form fitting underwear. <laughs> I think. What, what I was think he trying message, to portray to you guys? The message that? that time was like, if you can make pitches in your underwear then you know you can make pitches in anything in any yeah. situation and i think what he was trying to show us was that like who cares what it looks like mm-hmm. you know who cares like he doesn't care that he's naked he doesn't care that we're looking at his body or that he has chest hair or he's a little tubby or yeah. you know he's got a little bit of shrinkage going on cuz it's <laughs> at 6:30 in the morning yep. he doesn't care about any of that yeah. because all that matters is executing that pitch right there. And I think that message was well-received by some and not so well-received by some mm-hmm. where they're like, who the hell is this guy? He is an absolute lunatic. Yeah. And I think I fall, I know I fall into the camp of thinking that he is somewhat of a genius because mm-hmm. he was able to do things like that to send very subtle messages, sometimes more subtle than others. Mm-hmm. Um, but his style of of communicating, and I'll, I'll wrap this up because I don't want to make this a, a Greg Moore um, podcast. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's, it, it's a very interesting style of coaching that he brought. It did not work for everybody. Yeah. Um, ultimately, we did not win games there, and yeah. you know the the university moved on. Mm-hmm. But from a mental strength, um, pitching mindset. And um, really just like uh, life skills standpoint, I, he taught us a ton, a ton. And that was the only thing that mattered to him Yeah, to a fault. If he could teach us a lesson or if I could learn something that would serve me or my family in the future and we would lose the game, but that was the outcome he would take it Mm. i truly believe that Mm. he did not care about winning and losing and i think that was where this the university decided to move on because it was so important for him to shape us as men that i think especially that first year um the the record suffered Mm. Then I think later on he realized how important it was and kind of backed off some of the some of the more intense um, methods. But 
um, would you really say that us. would you say that him Greg Moore as a coach made you who you are as a professional pitcher now I think I think it had a lot to do with it yeah I, I wouldn't say you know I don't want to give credit to one person yeah you know like I've had so many coaches good and bad and they all deserve credit um, you know I, I like to give um, I like to give coach Moore a lot of credit um, because it was a really important period, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, you break it up into chunks of, like, coaches that I've had. Let's kind of go over bad coaching. Okay, yeah. Because bad – there's a lot of bad coaches. I was just going to say, like, coaching, good or bad, the timing is so important. Yeah. Like, that's, I guess, what I was going to say about – Because a lot Greg of high school coaches – His timing for me was just the most important because it yeah. was right before I got drafted. Yeah. And – I came in very raw, um, needing to learn a lot, and it was just really good timing for that style of coaching. Mm. So again, we didn't win much to speak of there. Mm-hmm. So his coaching could be graded one way, you know, that way, but his style which not everyone liked, as I mentioned, not only the university, but like players, there was a ton of guys who hated him because they thought what he was teaching was stupid or they didn't want to get up at 5 a.m. or whatever it was. But for me, the timing and the style lined up perfectly. Yeah. So it just, it's coincident. It's coincidental, right? So that's why some guys love their coach. Some guys hate the same coach, right? It's just because what those guys need or what they think they need, which is, probably the main issue is they think they need something different but um yeah so i mean as far as like good or bad coaching like i do think the timing of it matters it's not just based on like who who's getting coached because like certain individuals will respond better to certain types of coaching just like in the classroom right so people are visual you know um more of like a like a note taker like depending on your learning style it's just the same way with coaching like certain styles will you know resonate more with with different players yeah but the timing of it i think is really important too like if you have a bad coach or um a coach that's very degrading like i had in high school um you know (laughs) in hindsight that definitely didn't help me get recruited yeah. You know, uh, he definitely didn't help me get recruited. So that was extremely bad timing for me. So if we want to talk about bad coaching, you know, the worst time to have bad coaching is in that later stage of your career yeah. um, where you actually like need someone to assist you to move to the next level yeah. rather than kind of hold you back. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your high school coach like? Mike Terry. I'm not afraid to name drop. <laughs> What was he like? He was a hothead. It's like he took all of his emotional baggage and all the things that he regretted and kind of just threw them on us to to burden, Mm. you know. Um, At least that's how I interpreted it looking back. And I uh, see that a lot, like a lot with high school coaches. It's kind of sad, you know. They... uh, Back, not the necessarily the back in my day ones, you know, but it's it's like guys who think that coaching will make them feel better about their careers, mm. and so they get into it for the wrong reasons mm. and think that they like know so much and they don't, yeah. and 
they make these kids just spin in circles. Um, But yeah, Mike, I mean, where do I start? I think, I I think the, the anger issues would probably be the, the biggest, the biggest, um, bugaboo, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, he, um, he just didn't like people standing up to him or standing up for yourself in any way, really. It was like his way or the highway. Mm-hmm. And I had been working with him as a pitching coach, um, you know, like taking like lessons and stuff that a lot of people do, especially as like a freshman. Um, and, and I think like probably like eighth grade freshman year, I was doing pitching lessons with him because he was the varsity coach. Mm-hmm. And that seemed like the right thing to do at the time. And I remember he was teaching me some weird stuff, like my front side, like doing this. I know we don't have video, but like basically to like bring my glove hand back in sync with my throwing hand. So mm-hmm. like if you can picture it, both my hands going back as I deliver the pitch mm-hmm. and then going forward, it was a very strange, like no front side extension. It was very like, like BP. Yeah. And that's how he threw BP. Mm. And he was a great BP thrower, let me tell you. But I don't think you could throw harder than 82 like that. Yeah. So um, I think that's that's where the, the issue started was I took lessons from him and because it seemed like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And then I got to a point where I realized that this wasn't right and it felt very uncomfortable. And I was like, maybe I need to branch out and see somebody else and as the listeners probably know working with a new pitching coach can be scary changing your regimen can be scary whether mm-hmm. it's starting strength training or changing what you're doing or working with a new pitching coach outside of the school where you think that you know maybe the varsity coach might get mad about it mm-hmm. um again if he does get mad about you seeking outside help that's his problem he's got an ego problem that's his way or the highway. That's a dangerous mentality to have. Very old school. So I think good coaches, especially good high school coaches, should be encouraging you to go out and try to learn from somebody different. See what works for you. Because not only could it work for you and help your career, but you may come back and say, hey, I learned this. What do you think? And now all of a sudden that coach becomes a better coach. Mm. So I think, you know, What's the point of talking about good and bad coaching? I think the point is you need to be able to identify it because you need to know who you're playing for. Mm. That's really important because otherwise, if you know what makes him tick, then, and this isn't about like setting yourself up for success in the immediate future. This is like, you got to think big picture, right? You got to think you want to go play in college. Long game. If you're a freshman, sophomore, junior in high school, you're going to have to play for this guy unless he gets fired, you know? Mm-hmm. So you need to know kind of what you're dealing with and um, not necessarily cater to it, but just make your decisions around that and not let the words of that person hurt you mm. and make you feel less confident. My high school coach told me I'd never play D1 ball. Mm. Mine too. Told me I wasn't good enough. Yeah, mine too. You know? What kind of coach says that? Yeah. So luckily, that was by the time I was a junior or a senior, 
and I knew who I was dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I knew he was full of shit. And I knew, I knew in my heart that I was capable of it. Mm. So it didn't affect me. Yeah. But to a kid who has doubts and has put all their trust in this guy, and I've been working with him for three years, and he's seen all these guys come through, and he's seen guys go do one, and he doesn't think I'm good enough, so maybe I'm not good enough, and maybe I should... Yeah. Dangerous. It's yeah. dangerous. You gotta, you gotta know who you're working with. Yeah. No, those kind of coaches, they destroy self-confidence. And that's, like, empowering, empowering a high school athlete is probably the most important thing that a coach can do. Like, that role that he has, to be able to be like, because ultimately you're the one that's out on the mound out there on the field and if you have a coach who's constantly bringing up negative things and he's constantly his his mindset like if you look at your high school coach's mindset and he's all over the place whether that's from drinking or all the bad habits that he has um that's instilling the wrong things in you like you like usually what happens with those coaches is they they get frustrated by you doing something inconsistently and you look at them and they're just the most inconsistent people in the world. If you are going to be a coach, being able to be consistent in a positive way, I think that that's super important. And that's not necessarily what happens with most high school coaches. Yeah. You look at a high school coach, he's like happy one day for some reason and then the next day he's like blowing up on everybody. Um, yeah, they bring, I mean... Everybody brings baggage with them, you know. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's an important thing that you just brought up is a lot of people have a lot of things going on at home that nobody knows about, yeah. um, and they carry it with them. We're all guilty of it at some point, mm-hmm. you know, where it's you had a fight with your significant other, or um, you're just stressed about you know schoolwork, or you know you got a bad grade, or you're, got stuff going on man yeah you know and you know we're all human and it's hard to just turn the page you know um and i think coaches too you know i don't i don't think very many people at age 10 to 18 when you're deciding what do i want to be when i grow up you know what do i really want to do they're like i want to be a high school baseball coach I don't think there's that many guys who say that. And I think if you realize that as an athlete, I think that that is empowering in itself. You look at a guy who's telling you that you can't be something or that he doesn't think you can be anything, that doesn't have any merit with me at all. And that's kind of the standpoint. I had that in high school. I understood that. that. What does that do for anybody? No, nothing. It does nothing. It's it's something. I mean, it's all like, it, all it does is try and tear you down, you know? I just, I never, I'll never understand it. Yeah, I'll never understand it. Yeah, and there's thousands. That's what I mean. Thousands of high school baseball players that go through this every single time of practice, every single day. It's like, okay. And one of my least favorite things about high school coaching is the picking favorites part. Like there was always like a favorite person on a team, and I feel like a lot of high school athletes relate with that. They'll be like, okay, well he's got his like three seniors right there, his three seniors right there. Like they can do whatever they want, and you know what, whatever. And I think that. That that's not something that like if you if you're an athlete and what I say a lot of the times to the high school athletes that I have, um, you you don't look to and this is something that's hard is in high school you have to really be observant of yourself. You really need to be aware of like so hard to do. Yeah, absolutely. 
because so hard to do. It takes well, a lot of confidence, right? And you're so worried about what everybody thinks too. Yeah. So like you're trying to like, mm. you're developing. Yeah, man. <laughs> you're There's developing. A lot of like social, um, social learning going on. Mm-hmm. I guess if that's there's probably a better way to word that, but you know what I mean. Like you're just socially and physically and like mentally growing, growing in so many ways all at the same time. And you're probably getting pulled in hella different directions. Mm-hmm. Hella. There's the NorCal term. You still say it all the time? I, not all the time, but it just felt right there. Um, <laughs> it's not part of like my, uh, my normal vocabulary. It's not just, anymore. You got rid of it. No way. I guess it's still there. I, that wasn't planned or anything that just, Naturally, right comes time, out. right time and place. Yeah, it comes out. But yeah, I, I, I just I feel for a lot of high school kids who are dealing with that because it's hard to see to the other side. What know? could you say to a high school kid? Like, what would you say to a high school kid that has a frustrating situation with their coach or even their teammates? I think like it's it's tough. I mean, there's so many different scenarios, right? I mean, like, is your coach just a dick or? Is he actually keeping you out of the lineup because you're not taking lessons with him? Mm. I've seen that. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. you don't get to play. Like I went on a exchange trip to France my junior year of high school during baseball season, spring break. I made that decision as a sophomore, and I told him about it, my coach, mm-hmm. and he said that's fine because at the time I wasn't probably part of his plans for junior on varsity, like throwing eighty. I don't think he was thinking I was going to be helpful, but then the start of that year, I pitched really well. And I was pitching like, I was making starts. I was like probably like our number two starter mm-hmm. um, in high school. I don't really remember like how that worked, but I was making like little three inning starts. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like a bulk guy, let's call it. And um, when spring break came around and I went to go on that trip, I barely pitched after that. That was your junior? Mm-hmm. He was salty. Oh, yeah. He was salty because I made a decision for myself, planned in advance, I might add, and he kept me off the field. Mm-hmm. I barely, I barely, barely saw the field. I pitched like a little bit, and I play right field as like a defensive replacement late in games. Like mm-hmm. I phew, blowouts, right? Mm-hmm. Mop up. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's doing that, it's it's tough for me to give you advice because like if you want to play in college you got to be on the field. Yeah. You know? Um I guess my advice would be to just continue to try to do the right thing no matter no matter what situation it is, it, no matter what the coaching is like. I mean, just like first of all, take the high road and maintain integrity for yourself if someone else is unable to do that. Mm. So set an example, right? Mm-hmm. Because I imagine if I was a head coach and I grill some kid or, you know, I'm being snarky with him, or I bench him and the kid just handles it with class and respect, I would feel like an idiot. Yeah. Because my goal was to make him feel like crap. And if he didn't feel like crap and he took it like a man, I'd be like, damn, that makes me feel like the bitch here. Yeah. So that would be my first piece of advice is like, Stick to your guns, you know, and and just 
just focus to, on inner just excellence. Just try to make the best the best decision for yourself. You know, I mean, like if if that if you need to transfer, and you know it, and you just don't see a way out, and that's your decision, that's fine. Mm-hmm. If you think you can just grind it out, you know, if you think you need to have a conversation with the guy in private and speak your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever it is, but you have to just, you have to be honest with yourself and whatever decision you think is the best one to make. That's all you can do, dude. Yeah. That's all life is. It's just a bunch of choices. Yeah. Just trying to make the best ones you can in that moment. So, um, you know, if it's depending on the situation, you know, like if he's keeping you out off the field, you're not going to be able to play. Yeah. But if he's just a dick, you know, maybe you can find a way to get through that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, bad coaching is is a difficult hurdle, and it's inevitable, especially in pro ball. I know we haven't talked a lot about pro ball, and we've covered a lot of stuff about yeah. coaching and just personal development and like how this timeline works. But like going back to the ladder that I mentioned, right? You just have to take the things one step at a time. Like I just wanted to make the varsity team when I was a junior in high school right Mm -hmm. and then I just wanted an opportunity to play baseball in college Mm -hmm. and then it was like okay well it'd be nice if it was division Mm one then you get that division one opportunity and I'm like okay I was a walk-on right I don't know if you knew that I I had no I didn't have a scholarship when coach Moore brought me in so I don't necessarily remember but it wasn't even like a like I didn't know that much about how scholarships worked or how the roster composition worked but basically, my understanding was like guys on scholarship were on the team, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Guys who weren't on scholarship were not guaranteed spots. But I didn't really realize what that meant. Like that they could say, "Hey, you didn't make the team," and if I want to play baseball that spring, I got to pack my shit. Mm-hmm. So I went through that whole fall completely blind, completely blind to the fact that I could get cut. Mm. I never knew. I'd swear on my life. I went through that entire fall, never realizing that I was actually like trying out that I had to like actually like perform well and like make the travel team. I just thought I was on the team. Mm. And so when I got to the spring or, you know, our exit meetings in the fall and they're like, congratulations, I think it was in the spring because I think that's when they like make, which is kind of messed up because then guys have to scramble and figure out where to go. Yeah. I think they probably let you know in the fall if you're like, if they know, but the guys who are on the cusp, like you're going to come into spring, they're going to see how you look after the winter break, you know, in January, and then they're going to make their decision based on that. Yeah. So when they told me that, like, congratulations, like you made the team, I was like, yeah, duh. Like, what do you mean? You're like, like, oh. And then <laughs> I, I, remember, that I had a thing. conversation with the teammate. They were like, dude, that's awesome. Like, that's so cool. Congratulations. And I was like, like he had gotten cut. And I was like, I don't even know what to say. Like, I didn't. I don't, I didn't realize that that was a possibility. Like mm. that could have been an outcome for me. Mm. So that oblivion, the, the pure blind oblivion that I stayed, that I was in, um, ended up being for the better. Cause I pitched great and made the team. Yeah. But talking about going back to what I was, what I was saying, which was taking things one step at a time. And it's, it's great to have big goals. Like I always wanted to pitch in the MLB mm. and I knew that I wanted to do it for a long time. I didn't want to just get there. 
Like I've always, I've always said, like I want to, I want to pitch in the big leagues. I want to win a World Series. Like I want to do all these things. I want to stay there. I don't want to get there. I want to stay there. Mm. But how do you, how do you start from a, as a as a sophomore in high school throwing 80, 82 miles an hour? Where do you start? Mm-hmm. That seems like insurmountable. You know, it's like Mount Everest. Yeah. And like, not only do you have to climb Mount Everest, you have to like figure out a way to get a flight to go to Asia to like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like you're starting from below the ground Yeah. to climb Mount Everest. Yeah. And you don't even know where to start. Like, what do, what do I even pack? Do I bring gloves? What type of hiking equipment am I going to need? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, Like... You're painting a beautiful picture. Yeah. So... <laughs> Where do you start? Yeah. Right? You got a st- first step. Yeah. I know it sounds obvious. What you're talking like, about is the process. Yes. Yeah, and how important, correct, how important I, the process is. I was is. very, I was very much avoiding that word <laughs> intentionally, not because I dislike it. Mm. I love it. Mm. I'm extremely process oriented, mm. but that process is not the same for everybody. And mm-hmm. that process doesn't just show up. It's like people are like, trust the process. They're like, I don't, I don't have a process. Yeah. I don't even know what to do. Yeah. What do I eat for lunch? You know, like how do I make a sandwich? I'm serious. Like we got to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. Nutrition. Like I, I still don't even know what to do. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I'm 27. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what to eat. Mm. I brought a yogurt and a banana for breakfast because <laughs> that's what was in my fridge. You know, I had my friend bring me a cold brew because I need caffeine. Mm. You know, like. <laughs> Just so you know, the just th- talking on the caffeine part. Yeah, um, caffeine is most effective ninety minutes after you wake up. Not sooner. Not sooner. Cool. Just so you know that. That's good to know. That means I should drink more of this. Yeah, just ninety gonna, minutes after you wake up, so your body naturally gets that energy, and then you take caffeine, so you're not throwing your so your not, body off. Yeah, you're not like giving yourself like a yeah. Yeah. So if you guys are caffeine users, um, making sure that you get caffeine in. At least 60 minutes to 90 minutes after you wake yeah, up. Yeah, give your body a chance first. Drink some water, frankly. That's the first thing I did when I woke up was I slugged some water because I knew yep. I was going to be drinking coffee shortly. <laughs> Make that part of your morning routine. Um, yeah, and if you if you have heartburn, then um, I highly recommend acid reducer pills. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Speaking from experience. Absolutely. Um, yeah, coffee before water is not the move. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, dehydrate a dehydrated body. Anywho. Yeah. Um, I think, I think what we were hitting on is, is actually, it kind of excited me. It's really important. It's a really important concept, which is basically like dream big, but also have those sub goals, right? And you don't necessarily have to write them out. I know a lot of people are huge advocates for that, Mm -hmm. but like if you just daydream a little bit, right? And Let's do it together, right? Like we were already starting, so mm-hmm. let's let's finish what we were doing. Mm-hmm. I want to pitch in the big leagues. How do you do that? Well, if you're a sophomore in high school, throwing eighty to eighty-two, mm-hmm. and you're not sure where to start, I think the first thing that you need to do is you need to reach out for help mm-hmm. because you don't know. Nobody needs to be a hero and say, I've got it all figured out. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know where to start. Great. Seek some help. Mm-hmm. Ask your high school coach. If he's a D-bag, he's going to give you a D-bag answer. If you're a smart kid, or if you you know at least assess all of your options wisely, and you have multiple resources that you can use, mm-hmm. you can ask Ryan Chapman. Mm-hmm. You can ask Brock. Mm-hmm. Shit, if you're in the facility and I'm here, you can ask me. Mm-hmm. You can ask your high school coach. You can ask your travel ball coach. You can ask your mom, your dad. You can ask your friend's dad who played at USC in the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of ways to go about it to take that first step, but you need to gather as much information as you can, right? So when I was – I'll just walk you through basically what my process was. Mm-hmm. In high school, I didn't, I didn't know how to work out. I was very, very late. We talk about late bloomer. Not That didn't just refer to like – being a late recruit. It mm-hmm. was like I was legitimately like going through puberty as like a late junior, early senior in high school. And my friends and coaches still joke with me that like I, my balls are going to drop at any point here because <laughs> I barely shave. You know, like I said, I don't have a ton of body hair. Like I just have this kind of like younger look. Um, I was still getting carded at our movies, you know, a few years ago. So, anyways. Um, <laughs> You need to start with a foundation, and I think they do a great job here. RJ does a great job. Um, the place I train, Wright Fitness, Josh Wright does a great job with this. Um, countless other guys. Um, what, what was this guy's name? I, I used to work with him. His name was Jeremy. I forget his last name. Jeremy something. And um, Jeremy was the football strength coach at Marin Catholic High School. Um, and he really helped me understand how to move and how to start strength training, like very foundational exercises um, with very lightweight. I was doing it twice a week, but it just kind of gave me the skills that I needed. So by by the time I got so lucky to end up at Cal State Northridge, um, I kind of knew my way around a around a weight room well enough that I didn't embarrass myself, even though I couldn't do a pull-up unassisted, mm-hmm. right? I still kind of had those foundational movements. Mm-hmm. Um, and I um, did a lot of reading and learned about J-bands and long toss from Alan Jager, who ended up being Cal State Northridge alum and, you know, came and did a guided meditation with us that yeah, year. I remember that. And, um, My first meditation ever. Yeah. And maybe the best. I don't – I blacked out. <laughs> I, I was asleep for sure. Yeah. I was out. Yeah. Um, but just like, yeah, you just kind of like gather these resources, right? And and I'll trans- transition this because I'm going to skip all the stuff in between, right? Mm-hmm. You need the foundational stuff. You need to find the answers somehow. Like, where do I start? So finding a mentor. A mentor or mentors, yeah. right? Just people people that you trust that you can that you can get information from, right? It's just people that you trust. They don't have to be – it doesn't have to be a mentor. You don't need like this like – this is – Oh, yeah. like this is the guy. Yeah. He's going to lead me to the promised land. It's like, okay, I want to play college baseball because if I play college baseball, I can go professionally. It's very few kids get drafted out of high school. It's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you got to play college ball and you're going to have to play summer baseball and you're going to have to get stronger, faster, throw harder, hit harder. More, you're gonna have to be more refined. You're gonna have to learn how to throw a changeup effectively for strikes. You're gonna have to learn how to how to throw breaking balls out of the zone late in counts. You're gonna have to, you know, 
learn how to hit the ball the other way, mm-hmm. how to play a new position, be versatile. There's so many things that you're going to need to do, but you need to take them as they come mm-hmm. and you need to have the relationship with yourself be strong enough that you can look in the mirror and say, you're not good enough right now. What do you need to change? Mm. Right. And I think that's where the process becomes super important is that you answer that question by saying, this is what I need to get better at Mm. in order to take the next step. And I think that's important too. When you say the word change, I refrain from using the word change because there's a very negative connotation to that. You're talking about growth, and with growth, there's only adjustments. So, what what things do I need to adjust? Just yeah. kind of throwing that in there. Yeah, for changes sure. changes viewed as something changes, that is bad. Changes, I think. I think the difference the the reason, correct me if I'm wrong, that change sounds bad is it, it means that you were doing something wrong. Yeah, that's not necessarily the case. Yeah, there can be you can be changing a good habit to a different good habit. Yeah, right. Exactly. Just so. I'll, yeah. I'll use a different Adjusting. word. I'll use a different word for for your sake. Yeah, I'm um, big on words. Obviously, it's important. It's yeah. important, and like that positive self talk. Yeah, super important. Yeah, I don't always do it. You see some footage of me on the mound. I don't know if John Boy's broke me down. I don't think he has. I'm not that <laughs> not that famous, but said some pretty mean stuff to myself. Yep. Um, we've all been there. Helps some people. Helps me sometimes, but more often than not. You do need to have that relationship with yourself so that you can tell yourself, we need to go in a different direction and or we need the, to accelerate in this direction or whatever you're going to say. The big thing with the reason why you're saying that, and I'm not big on positive self-talk. That was what I was taught in school. That's what I was taught in my graduate program. It's like positive reinforcement, positive self-talk. That's all great. But like what you're saying is if you're on the mountain and you say something negative to yourself, if you say it out loud, sure, that is that is the worst possible thing that you can do. But if you say something that is true or honest, so say you just left a fastball up and a guy drilled it, double in the gap, you say, wow, that was terrible, or it's probably not what you're saying. You're probably using a lot more profanity. But you say that. The reason why I'm not necessarily like, hey, you need to fill that with positivity is because you're being honest. You know you made a mistake. Totally. The biggest part is right after that, you have to create the adjustment. So that that very next pitch that you throw, it's got to be the opposite of what you just did. Dude, we're, we could be here for hours talking about this. You get what I'm this saying, is, though? This is, this, is really, this is really good. That's where neutral thinking, being able to get Honest. to that neutrality. Honest. Yeah, you have to tell yourself the truth. You take the good, you take the bad. Your best version of it, because not everyone is capable of seeing everything in that moment either. Yeah. You could you could think that was a bad pitch because it got hit over the wall, but it really wasn't a bad pitch. Yeah. Maybe the guy just... It's a good swing. Yeah, maybe the guy just put a way better swing. He didn't do anything swing. wrong. Dude, for the, the amount of times that I have done nothing wrong and, and paid for it in baseball, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's just you can't be so hard on yourself based on results like that. Yeah. You know, and that, that kind of just goes with hand in hand with, you know the process, which in baseball, as a pitcher specifically, which I am, mm-hmm. my process basically ends when I deliver the ball, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Everything that I work for just to make as good of pitches as I can. Yeah. That's it. And right? that's so much easier said than done too. Right. Yeah. If the guy hits it over the wall, like I'm not mad per se. I'm not like 
disappointed in myself. I'm not like those emotions don't all swirl through my brain because like you just, you're so singularly focused on like, what is my job? Execute. Like Greg, just in the back of my head, just talking like make pitches. And I'm like, I'm trying, you know? And sometimes it doesn't work out, but like you learn from it. Yeah. You're like, okay, I threw an O2 change up at the belt. I was trying to throw it low and I missed my spot and he hit it over the wall. I got to be really careful where I throw that, especially when I'm ahead in the count. Mm-hmm. And this is all happen- happening simultaneously. And sometimes it's after the game or sometimes it takes you a few times to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Or you face a certain hitter, right? And you know a certain hitter well and you see him a couple times. And, you know, you can get a fastball by him. He's never hit one. And one day he hits one. He made an adjustment, mm-hmm. you know? So now you counter adjust. It's the cat and, cat and mouse. That's what... That's what gets my blood pumping, mm. you know. That's mm-hmm. uh, that's the game. Absolutely. So, and you you basically have that cat and mouse with yourself, right? Where you're you're trying to find that little bit that'll make the difference between you know ninety and ninety one, or um, hitting a home run, or hitting it off the wall, or you know just that's kind of just more like a figure of speech, but like that little bit of improvement is just what we're chasing, right? Like, and, and that's what I mean when I talk about that ladder and I talk about the long-term goal being a manifestation of small victories. Mm -hmm. Greg used to talk about all the time, small victories, right? It's so important. Mm -hmm. Like today, right? Like I want to pitch in the big leagues still, right? Mm -hmm. I, I was very lucky enough to be able to do that this year, um, this past year. And, um, for the Angels. For the Angels. Yeah. Yep. Uh, made my debut in Houston, mm-hmm. April 18th. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I I want, like I mentioned before, I want to stay, right? I didn't stay last year. I pitched in the big leagues three separate occasions. Mm-hmm. Every time I pitched, I got sent back down after I pitched. Mm. I didn't pitch poorly in any of the three outings. Um, they were all pretty, in my opinion, pretty solid. Um, and I am hard on myself. You know, mm-hmm. obviously there's pitches that I could have made that were better. I gave up a homer in Yankee Stadium. You know, there's a lot I could have done better. But I pitched pretty well. Mm-hmm. It's not good enough, right? Yeah. Because you got to stay. And you have to continue every single day there. You have to prove that you belong there. Mm-hmm. So for me, just using today as a microcosm, my goal is to pitch in the big leagues as long as I can and to stay and to help a team win. Mm-hmm. You know, and right now I'm a member of the Angels, so my goal is singularly how can I help the Angels win games in 2023? Mm. The answer is by, by throwing a little bit harder. <laughs> Actually, that's the that's the funny the funny part of this is the answer is I need to throw a little harder because right now we have four left-handed starters. I'm a left-handed starter. Mm. So am, am I going to contribute the way that I am right now? You know, Every single one of those guys, Tyler Anderson, Patrick Sandoval, Reed Detmers, and Jose Suarez, and you could even throw Tucker Davidson in there. They're all extremely talented, all extremely talented, all seemingly ahead of me on the death chart, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not blind to that. I'm not stupid. I'm not going to like pretend that that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Like All five of those guys deserve to be in the big leagues. Mm. 
They all have incredible stuff. They throw, for the most part, 92 to 95, all of them. Uh, Tyler Anderson might be a little bit lower, but he's more of an established big leaguer, just signed a multi-year deal, extremely good pitcher, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the rest of them throw pretty hard, right? Lefty starters. I throw a little bit slower than them. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily worse than they are in my eyes, mm-hmm. but from the Angels' front office perspective, from a stuff perspective, from projecting outcomes – Right, because mm-hmm. that's their job is to project outcomes and try to put the best team together to get the best outcomes. Mm-hmm. Right? If I threw a little bit harder, I could help the team. Mm-hmm. As I am now, they took me off the forty-man roster. Twenty-nine teams passed on me. Mm-hmm. None of them, none of them added me to their forty-man roster. It's a gut check, dude. Mm. It's my first time being DFA'd. Mm. Made my debut last is, year. Everything is, is great. Designated for assignment. So. <laughs> Think of it as in, as in, you know, you. But most people listening, I hope, know that there's the team that you see on TV, and then there's a player pool of forty, including that team. So the forty man roster where they can they can draw from most mm-hmm. of the guys in AAA, some in AA. But you have a forty man roster. Twenty six of them are on TV. You mm-hmm. see them every day, right? Mm-hmm. The other fourteen are, are scattered, and then there's the IL and all that. But designated for assignment means they take you off of that forty. Um, man roster Mm -hmm. so first of all incredible opportunity for me to pitch in the big leagues and extremely grateful for that Mm -hmm. and for the opportunity to be on the 40-man roster and to continue to try and help the team throughout the course of last year even though I didn't go up to the big leagues after June um, just to to be in that discussion is something that I've always um wanted to achieve that's another one of those steps right mm-hmm. in order to pitch in the big leagues you got to get on a 40 man mm-hmm. i did it i did it in the same day so <laughs> it was just kind of one of those things but still one needed to happen in order for the next mm-hmm. um and so when i got designated this was actually about a month ago um assistant gm alex Taman called me and he basically said it's just part of it we needed the roster space um we hope you clear selfishly for us um we hope that you clear waivers and that you remain with the team because we still value you Mm. and it's nice to hear and i I trust tam um i don't know him extremely well um but he's been straightforward with me in in our interactions so i trust that what he says is is true i trust him at his word so a week later i clear he says we're we're really glad that that you cleared i'm pissed because I was hoping to get claimed by another team because that would mean that they thought that I could help them and pitch in the big leagues for them in the near future. And mm-hmm. that's not to say that the Angels don't or that other teams don't, but that's that was my clearest path would be to get claimed and be on another 40-man roster. So when you don't, you know, that's, that's a gut check. You know, it's like, well, crap. Nobody else wanted me. So then you got to ask yourself, you got to take that look in the mirror and you got to be honest with yourself. And you're like, what could I have done differently and what do I need to do now? Those are basically my two questions. And mm-hmm. I looked in the mirror. I had nothing I could have done differently. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have changed a thing. You know, my son was born in July. Shortly after, pretty much three days after, my shoulder started barking. Freak thing. It cost me a month and a half of the season. Didn't get to pitch back in the big leagues. 
finished the season healthy in AAA, but because of that, was unable to help the team. Mm. So could I have done something to prevent that injury that probably ultimately led teams to being like, ah, like we're, we're okay. Like we lefty throwing 89 to 91 towards the end of the year, you know, with a, you know, had a little shoulder bug during the season, only through 70 innings, you know, whatever. We're good. I couldn't have done anything. I wouldn't change a thing. Mm. Right. Nothing I could have done. So what do I have to do now? Again, you know, the answer is I have to get better at what I do in order to make an impact with the major league team. Mm-hmm. Just got to throw a little bit harder. That's, that's what the team's giving me as an assignment. And I, I agree. I agree. And it's something I've always, I've always known. Mm-hmm. I've gotten away with a lot because of that late bloomer status. Mm-hmm. I was able to, I learned how to throw a change up pretty much as effectively um, in the strike zone as my fastball. Sometimes mm-hmm. I have more feel for a changeup than a fastball. It's weird. Mm-hmm. Um, you learned how to pitch. I learned how to pitch, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. I learned how to work with what you've got and um, that cat and mouse, mm-hmm. right? So luckily that's served me well to the point where I've gotten some of these opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I have to take that next step. So... I guess the point of this whole spiel that I just went on that tangent about getting DFA'd and all these things and is Adversity. when you're presented with a task, right? It's just one step on that ladder, but you, you don't always know right away what you have to do. Mm. It's like when I got DFA'd, like when I was going into this off season, I didn't really know what I needed to do. But I had a really good team around me. With it's Ryan, Josh, you know the Angels, um, you know the support that I've gotten, and, and my path has become clear mm. because I sought out those answers, right? Yeah. Um, and I think that's I think that's kind of I guess the point that I was making is when those things happen, they you know you can look in the mirror and feel sorry for yourself and why me? <laughs> I've said that before. You mm-hmm. know why is this happening? Um, what did I do? And you can have a lot of self-doubt. Um, but ultimately, that same honesty can be used um, on the other side and see the positive things and see, like you're talking about, it doesn't necessarily have to be positive self-talk as much as it is just like honest with yourself and like, give yourself a compliment. I was like, damn, dude, you pitched really well last year. Like, I don't think you could have done anything differently. Mm-hmm. But now we need to get better. Mm-hmm. How are we going to do that? Mm-hmm. After talking with you, because I obviously, I mean, we haven't, I knew you as a high school, college pitcher. Yeah. And I know, I knew going into this, like that I would, I would totally get a different side of Kenny that I knew, Mm -hmm. you know? And my biggest thing is neutral thinking. I, I think that you incoherently have neutral thoughts and you kind of got that down. Sure, there's probably negativity that comes in, but the reason why I'm saying that is when I hear you talk, you're talking about things that you recognize. Recognize is probably one of my favorite words, mm-hmm. and it's the hardest thing to do. Like you're saying, you got DFA'd. Okay, what can I recognize here? Yeah. And you have to you have to admit or be told by other people incoherently as well that hey, like this can prove, this can improve, this can get better. Yeah. Um, 
And instead but, of being like, oh, but then like, also you need to take the good. Yeah, that, you need yeah. to be able to be like, okay, dude, like every time I went in there, I did the best that I possibly could. That, that shoulder thing that I had going on, I, I had out no control. Hands, out of my hands, yeah. I had no control over that. One of the oldest sayings in the book, like control what you control. I say it to myself all the time. Yeah. And, and really you truly have to like, like own that. It's my favorite cliche. Yeah, it should be. It should be. It is what it is. And control what you can control like those two things are they're incredible but they're extremely neutral you know what i'm saying yeah totally they don't they don't just weigh the negative or just weigh the positive it's like this is a situation i'm in what's the action that i can take to yeah move on i think here? i think neutral and true are yeah. synonyms in this case yeah, because honest. you just need to look at what is true yeah and whether it's it doesn't have a charge so mm-hmm. to speak it's not positive or negative yeah. right it's just neutral it is what it is yeah yeah like you really have to be there yeah absolutely um okay cool so we kind of talked about the adversity um yeah i wanted to ask you what because i don't want to leave it just on adversity. i want to be neutral here so what success so when we're talking about success like what is your definition of success if you could define it well i want to i wanted to say one more thing about adversity before i say anything about success because yeah. I, I mean, obviously they're they're related, um, and I think duality. That, I think perfect the, duality. I think there. the conversation that we had it's important, especially for the uh, the people listening to this, whether they're high school or college age. My freshman year of college, after all, that whole story about scout ball and everything that I did to get on a Division One roster, and it was miraculous that I made that team. I threw eleven innings as a freshman. Mm-hmm. I had an eight ERA. Not good. Right? It's not living up to your standards. Not good. Yeah. Not good. Didn't execute. Nothing good about it. Mm-hmm. Right. Got good grades. That was a plus. Mm. But that's about it. Sophomore year, that didn't stay true. I went and played summer ball in the West Coast League before my sophomore year. Pitch great. Pitch great. Cool. So coming into my sophomore year, there's a little bit of excitement. I got a little bit ahead of myself, a little bit cocky. Mm. Right, because I had a good summer and I knew I was coming in. I had made the team the previous year and I knew I was going to have a chance to actually compete. Still wasn't on a scholarship, but felt like I was I was trending, starting to grow in my body. You know, had a good workout regimen. Hit like ninety two mm. that summer, like feeling really good. Lefty sophomore touched ninety two. Like I was like, this is, I'm like finally, you mm. know, it's coming together. Got ahead of myself. Made some bad decisions, a little too much, a uh, little too much enjoying myself. Let's call it. Mm. I won't get into specifics just because I don't feel like they're important. But basically, I got comfortable. I ate like shit. I took care of my body like shit. Mm. I didn't take school seriously. Mm. Got my worst GPA in my entire life. I think I had like a two point two mm. that um, that semester. Um, and ultimately had a lower back injury. Mm. Um, and I missed that season. I, I didn't play as a sophomore because of my lower back injury and directly related to my decisions. So I had to have that internal conversation that we're talking about, right? Mm. That honesty. And this was probably the first time that I was honest with myself in a long time. Um, because you can get, you just get on a high and you just forget, right? And it happens to everybody, and it's okay. Mm. It's okay to look back and be like, man, I wish I hadn't done that. Mm. Everyone has stuff like that. Mm. But it doesn't have to become a regret. 
if you learn from it and you move forward. Like I'm thankful for that back injury. Mm. I look back on it positively because it taught me how to rehab, first of all, mm. how to get a little bit better every day, mm. how to do what's assigned, right? I just showed up every day. I did what was on the sheet. Mm. No matter what, no matter how I felt, I just did it, mm. right? Because that's what I was told to do by people I trust. Mm. I rehab my back. I was supposed to play in the Cape that summer. I didn't feel ready. A lot of people would have pushed and tried to be like, oh, I got to show something. I didn't feel ready. I did, I did, my body wasn't ready. I needed, I didn't want to go to the Cape and pitch bad mm. or get hurt. Mm. My agent now always tells me there's three outcomes. You pitch good, you pitch bad, you get hurt. Two of them are bad, right? So if you're going to make a decision to go play winter ball or um, summer ball or whatever it is, those are your three outcomes. Pitch good, pitch bad, get hurt. So I felt like I was either going to pitch bad or get hurt. I didn't think I was going to I pitch good seemed unlikely based on missing the season. I wasn't going to force it over the summer. So I said, I'm going to just train. Mm. So I stayed, I stayed in Northridge that summer. I worked camps. I long tossed the hell out of the ball with Brandon Warner mm. and, uh, I worked out and I just got stronger and made sure that coming out of my rehab program that I was healthy, um, and that fall, I, I touched 94 and became, you know, the one of the weekend starters and got a lot of attention from scouts and ultimately pitched my absolute nads off that year and got drafted in the eighth round. Mm. And it seemed like it all happened really fast. It seemed like it just came out of nowhere, you know? But it took every single one of those years from sophomore in high school, you want to go back to Little League, sure, but let's call it from sophomore, from junior year in high school when I chose to go to France instead of playing baseball, up until draft day, there were so many decisions that you could be that you could deem right or wrong. But ultimately, like, and and this is what the question that you're going to ask at the end that we were talking about. This is this is my answer, right? Every single one of those decisions I made led me to that draft day, led me to getting drafted 240th overall by the Tampa Bay Rays, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Could I have been a fifth-round pick if I had done something differently? Probably. Could I have been an undrafted free agent? Could I be working at Vons right now? You know, Probably. So there's a lot of decisions that lead you to where you are today. So part of that honesty with yourself is you look back and you're like, would I have changed anything? If so, don't make that same mistake again, mm. right? Mm. If not, keep doing what you're doing because mm-hmm. you, you got something going, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. I think that that day for me was just a collection of a bunch of decisions, some good, some bad, mm-hmm. but the bad ones I learned from mm. and I made up for it mm. and I didn't make the same mistake again. Mm. And I carried those lessons with me because that off season, after I got drafted, I went and pitched a little bit, did okay. It, your first season doesn't matter. Don't tell anyone who gets drafted that, but it doesn't matter. Mm. The next year matters. Mm. So 2017 for me mattered. I needed hip surgery. I got it. 2016, September 20th, my mom's know. birthday. Left hip labrum repair. Mm. It's my back leg. I'm a pitcher. Mm. I, I attacked that rehab, and the reason why I was able to to be healthy for spring training was because I knew how to rehab because of my back injury that I had in college. Mm. I knew what it took. I was in Florida, completely out of my element, 
living with a guy I barely knew. Shout out Chris Kirsch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just had to, I had just had to take that one step at a time mentality and just do the work that needed to be done that day. It was, it was barely anything at first cause they cut into my hip, right? Mm-hmm. Come April, I break camp. I go to low A. I missed one start that year. Blister. Made every single one, 115 innings. Mm. I'm proud of that. Yeah. Proud of that. Yeah. Um, You know, and then obviously, you know, the minor leagues is a whole different animal. But um, I think that's that's less important. So kind of reflecting on what you just said, you took the word adversity, the situations that you went through, and you used them as growth. Totally. Everyone should understand that. Yeah, I think... And it, it's much easier said than done, as you mentioned, yeah. right? It's not just like, I'm not some sort of wizard who's just like, like has this magic potion who like, this was a mistake. Poof. Now it's a success. It's like, that's not how it works. Yeah. Like it's, you're, some people will make the same mistake twice. I've made the same mistake multiple times, mm-hmm. you know? But like when I say you don't make the same mistake again, it's it's more of like a generalization, right? Where you're just like those poor decisions stay with you, mm. especially if you're honest with yourself and it really affected you. Mm-hmm. Cause I've made bad decisions that didn't affect me. Right. But if it, if it impacts you and you, and you knew it impacted you and it was an important enough impact that it cost you something that you wanted, mm-hmm. that shit sticks with you. I think that's a huge difference between a high school, college professional. When you have a mistake, by the time that you're a pro, you understand how quickly you need to make that adjustment. Yeah. When you're in high school, you'll make that same adjustment or that same mistake over and over and over again. Totally. Yeah. And then in college, you get a little bit better. But then when you're a pro, you're pretty good at finding out when you make a mistake and what to do when you have that mistake. Oh, and you also pay for your mistakes yeah. <laughs> you know, in a different way. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. It's a fight. You can make a mistake that costs you financially, or you can make a mistake that goes 450 feet. Absolutely. And now you have more stress, which I would call you stress for you, good stress, because now you have a kid. Now you have a, a wife. Now you have to support people. So yeah. if you make a mistake when you're a pro, it's like, okay, I need to make this adjustment right yeah. now. We used to, I, I've had coaches basically tell me, like, you need to think of it as either you're feeding your family or he's feeding his oh yeah you know yeah i love that that's good stress it's like let's go right eat eat or be eaten yeah in a way yeah yeah and you don't have that in high school no yeah so how do you everybody can be friends we can all go to the we can you you get a big west scholarship yeah you get a pac-12 scholarship yeah you can go to a juco first but then still be okay you know like it's yeah yeah, it's uh, everybody can win um but uh, i mean Professional baseball is not like dog eat dog. It's not that bad. Um, but I do remember at the lower levels, I had teammates rooting against teammates. Yeah. It's a weird, weird atmosphere, oh, especially yeah. coming from college where it's all rah, rah. Like I would die for the, well, it's very, guys, it's very know. about yourself and you don't get that in high school or yeah. college, but you have to, it's so hard. It's so hard, dude. You have to like, you have to like play unselfishly Yeah. while also understanding that the only thing that matters is your performance. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Good luck. Very true. Hey, we care about winning, but also we don't. Yeah. What? 
I will give the Tampa Bay Rays a ton of credit. They did a great job. Mm. They did a great job with player development. I think the message was always clear. They cared about winning. They wanted to develop um, players who cared not only about winning, but about each other, about the team, about the work. Mm. Um, They're obviously very analytically um, forward Mm. compared to the time uh, Mm. that they were in. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, yeah, there's a a lot to be said about... um, about coaching and professional baseball too that that will save for a right time and place but mm-hmm. um, ultimately I think whether it's coaching personal adversity um, whatever it is that you know you have to attack um, again it can be an outside factor or it could be an inside factor you know it, but whatever it is you just need to approach it I think with with honesty and Openness and a real, genuine interest to find the answer, right? Because if you don't really care, if you're like, I want to pitch in the big leagues, but like, I don't know that I want to like really find out what it takes, mm. or like, I think I'm good enough, but like, I'm kind of like disinterested, and I like kind of like criminology seems cool like I, I want to be a cop or something you know then don't put so much pressure on yourself on the field mm. you know but if you really want to do something like you got to be honest with yourself to the point where like if you got to change something you'll know mm-hmm. you know and it, if you're if your gut's telling you something different then maybe maybe that's just not not the path for you you know yeah. and that's what I mean about those little decisions yeah you make a decision any point on that path that I took, I could have been like, maybe I don't want to play ball. You know, maybe I just don't want it that bad. Mm-hmm. Five a.m. mile runs, weights. You know, pro ball, surgeries. I mean, ups and downs, get, getting shelled, and you know, not feeling like maybe like COVID. I mean, there's so many opportunities to like just be like, maybe it's not for me. And if that's your decision, be honest with yourself. That's fine. Mm-hmm. I talked to a kid, Carter Yankee. I don't know. I don't think you know Carter, but Carter came in. I made the kid quit. I made him quit. I'm mm-hmm. convinced because we had a, I had a conversation with him. I was a retro sophomore. He was a freshman, and Coach Moore tells me to talk to him, and he said, "I don't know what's going on with him. Like, I just want you to like be a good influence on him and just give him some advice because he reminds me a lot of you." Mm-hmm. And one of the first things I asked him, I was like, do you even, like, because I could tell he was, like, a little bit, like, things had gotten a little big for him. He was super talented, super talented. He was throwing high 80s as a lefty, as a freshman with good breaking stuff, like, good feel, smart kid. He was talented. Um, And if he really wanted to, he could have pitched for a long time, too. Mm. And I think Coach Moore saw that in him like he saw it in me. And so when I had a conversation with Carter, because I think he was intimidated by Coach Moore. So whenever Coach Moore asked him, like, what's going on? He was like, nothing. Like, he's like, do you want to be here? He's like, yeah. Like, yeah, I want to be on the team. Like, all this stuff. Like, I want to play baseball. Like, I, I really, like, I want this. But then when he talked to me, I was like, do you really want this? He was like, no. He's like, I don't know. Like, I, I was like, what do you really want to do, dude? Like, I was like, I had to remember this conversation. Like, it was yesterday. I was like... I looked at him and I said, do, do you even like baseball? He's like, honestly, not anymore. Like, it, it's, I don't even, I don't think it's really for me. Like, I don't, I don't enjoy doing this every day. Mm. I'm tired. Like, 
I'd rather just go to school and be a regular student. Mm. Quit the team a couple weeks later. Mm. And I think it was a great thing for him. I follow him on social media. He looks super happy. Mm. You know, I don't think he has any regrets about his decisions, mm. you know, along that line. Mm-hmm. So um, that's what I mean, I guess, by when you ask me to define success or what would I do differently. Mm. I think success is trusting yourself throughout that process to make the right decision Mm. to the point where you get to where you are today and you look back and you don't wish you had done anything differently. Mm. That's success, man. You succeeded Mm. because you trusted yourself throughout. And obviously if you achieve the goal, it's nice, Mm -hmm. but achieving the goal, that end result isn't always what you want it to be Mm. because that's not always in your control. Yeah. Yeah, and then that kind of goes into, I mean, the duality between success and failure. At what point do you achieve that goal? Yeah. And you only fail when you quit, right? Yeah. So if if you never quit, like, you you can reach that, even if it takes your entire life. Yeah. You just got to be able to set the right goals. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's awesome. Okay, final question, because you got to go and throw a bullpen. So to wrap it up, what advice would you give to your younger self? And I know you kind of hit on that a little yeah. bit, but yeah, I'll try to be concise about this. Mm-hmm. Um, just give me a sec. Wanna, Young Kenny. This is, this is, this is a tough way to answer this because the answer I want to say is basically like, trust your gut. Mm. Right. But it's more than that because I had no reason to trust my gut at that point. I would say, keep asking questions. Because in order to trust your gut, you need to have as much information as possible, right? Mm-hmm. So people always say, trust your gut, trust yourself, trust this. So you're not going to take one person's advice and just be like, yep, that's, that's the gospel. Mm-hmm. But you need to gather as many pieces of information as you can from as many trusted sources as you can. So you are fully informed And then you can trust your gut because you will know what the right thing to do is. You have that moral compass. Mm. Use your surroundings. Use everything you've learned from your mom, from your dad, from your alcoholic high school baseball coach. Mm. Use all that, everything that you've learned and all the information that you can gather, whether it's fucking Google, Mm -hmm. whether it's, like I said, your, your coach, a mentor like Ryan, a teammate. And no matter what the decision you're trying to make is, if you're trying to decide what pitch to throw, trust your instincts. Mm. Or if you decide, trust your catcher because you you know that your catcher's done his homework Mm. and he knows this hitter Mm -hmm. and he knows you and he knows what's best for you. Mm. So trust your gut by way of asking questions I love that that's perfect Kenny thank you so much for coming in dude, that was thank awesome you. that was a dude I, I think I'm gonna go throw the shit out of the ball today because of that um, I'm super grateful to still be doing this every day yeah. I'm super so much gratitude dude I feel like I'm about to cry honestly like yeah. it's I'm super passionate about what I do and I do have to provide for my family yeah. and it keep that makes it real yeah. And so having conversations like this and like thinking back on like everything that I went through to get to the point that I am today yeah. and seeing these kids in here 
working their asses off to do the same thing. Um, and knowing that there's somebody out there who's working harder than me mm. who will not get a chance to play in college. Mm. That gives me a lot of motivation Yeah, because I can work harder yeah. and I can, I can work smarter and, yeah. and I can be a better version of myself today than I was yesterday. And that's, it's really, really cool. Yeah. And I get to go home and kiss my wife and baby. And that's badass. That's it, dude. I love it. All right. So that concludes today's session with Kenny. And once again, interviews will be at the end of the month. The first three sessions are going to be mental performance sessions that I want you guys to use. If you have any questions or if you want to reach out, Kenny's Instagram is at Kenny. I will tag it in the bio. But if you want to reach out to me, it is at Mindset Sessions Podcast on Instagram or at Off The Wall Therapy. And of course, if you want to email me, it's Brock at OffTheWallTherapy.com. Again, thank you guys so much for listening and have a great day.